Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. This is your host, Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. One year ago this month, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in one of the most consequential cases for government labor relations in U.S. history. Mark Janis of the state of Illinois versus the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. Later that summer, the court ruled that mandatory agency fees from government employees to unions were unconstitutional under the First Amendment. Public employee unions are an important source of political support for Democrats, of course, and in the wake of the Janus decision, blue states are passing new laws to protect these public unions. To talk about the fallout from the Janus, Janus case and to explain it, I'll be joined today by Dan DeSalvo. We'll introduce Dan and begin our conversation after the break. Hello again, everyone. This is Brian Anderson, editor of City Journal. Daniel DeSalvo is a frequent writer for City Journal. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He's an associate professor of political science at City College here in New York. And he's the author of Government Against Itself, Public Union Power and Its Consequences, which came out from Oxford Press a few years ago. Dan's latest report for the Manhattan Institute is called Public Sector Unions After Janus. And he recently had a piece on the topic in the Wall Street Journal. Dan, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. Leading up to the case in question, we were told that the very existence of public sector unions was going to be at stake. Has it been quite as bad as union supporters feared? What has been the, the outcome of the post-Janus environment? Well, it, it hasn't certainly been as bad as uh, supporters of public employee unions feared, nor as uh, good, you could say, as their critics hoped. Um, it's been a much slower process. So two big things have really happened. The first is that the court's decision to strike down agency fees at, for the fees non-members pay to unions as unconstitutional First Amendment violations meant that unions did lose those monies right out of the gates. And that's been a little bit of a slow process, and there's some complications we can talk about. But overall, they took a big or significant financial hit. And maybe maybe just to, before you get to the second point, explain why the unions would lose money as a result of that decision. The the agency fee structure uh, isn't that well understood by the public. Sure. So anyone in a joining a state and local government workforce as a police officer, a firefighter, a teacher, the public university professor, if the uh, place they're going to work is already unionized, they come, they are offered a choice either in these 22 states that allow what are called agency fees, uh, you are offered a choice, join the union and pay dues, or if you don't join the union, pay agency fees, which are set often at pretty about close to pretty the level of dues. The, exactly. Right. Nearly the same, 100% or sometimes less. Um, and then there can be an opt-out provision of political spending. So this partly is a provision that increases the number of union members because many people just say, well, if I have to pay anyway, I might as well be a member. So once these were struck down, there's always some group, and it can vary from a small percentage of a workplace, say five, six, seven percent, to as much as 30 percent or more of a workplace that is 
not doesn't decides not to be a union member and decided to pay the agency fees. So they, those people, whoever they were, as soon as Janus was handed down, the union lost the agency fee revenue from them. I see. So so um, to get back to the point you were making, um, they did take a hit financially. They did take a hit financially, and this would vary across unions, just depending on how many what was the percentage of people they represented that were non-members. So right. it could be from, say, California Teachers Association would be a smaller hit because over 90% of teachers in California belonged to the CTA, but not insignificant. Any large organization that loses, you know, 5, 6, 7, 10% of their right. revenue stream, that's not insignificant. And the second consequence? The second consequence has been that the unions have done two things. They've really pushed for new state laws that have passed in a number of the states that were affected, and they've really been on a massive organizing campaign to get some of those agency fee payers to become full-fledged union members. Those two things, and we can talk about them in more detail, have really helped stave off any declines in union membership, because now under Janus, people can receive, in effect, the benefits of union membership without paying for them, and that was this concern that unions had that people would start stop being union members and then they would lose even more money. But the so organizing campaign and the laws have helped them stave off the let's, consequences. Let's talk a little bit about the laws. Um, these are on a state-by-state -state level and who have been some of the trend-setting states there? The trend-setting states are the blue biggest, states. the big blue states with that have had the strongest public sector unions. So think New York, New Jersey, California, Connecticut, uh, those have been the ones that have passed some of these some of these laws, and they're basically replicating the the situation federally. They're um, not repl replicating. I mean, what, what are the laws saying exactly? Well, are they allowing agency fees again? They can't. They allow, can't. Right? They can't. Agency fees are now constitutionally right. prohibited. They're On not free speech grounds. So. so what they're doing is one thrust is to help facilitate union organizing. They require, for example, here in New York, um, any new hire to meet for up to an hour on work time with union officials who can then make the case to them for all the benefits of why they should sign the union card and become a union member. In addition, these kind of laws allow or require public employers to share all the contact information of all public employees with the union. So the union can easily access, send mailings to, make phone calls to, to, again, contact right. people who aren't union members or who people who they're concerned might be wavering in their yeah. uh, commitment to the union and, and message them. So partly that's about organizing and recruiting members. The second thrust of the laws is to make opting out for current union members more difficult. So in New Jersey, for example, um, you are tied to opting out only around a 10-day window when you joined or took your job. In some states, it's also when you joined the union. So that's what can be confusing which means you can't opt out of the union except during this one this slice of window of the year. Um, and that makes it easier for the union to retain its current membership. I see. Now, over the past you know, 12 months or so, uh, we've seen any number of strikes by uh, teachers, walkouts by public school teachers across the country. It's been in L.A., uh, Denver, West Virginia. Uh, what do you what do you uh, think is going on there 
And does the Janus decision have something to do with this uh, this push? In most and what, what are the teachers looking for? Yeah, and in most of the cases, the teachers, I think, are looking for the traditional things that cause strikes. The teachers themselves are interested in better pay, better benefits, improved working conditions, um, that is, material goods. I think in many of the strike cases, especially in what was called the red states, West Virginia and a number of the state, Arizona, that were not strong union states to begin with and didn't allow agency fees, weren't affected by the Janus decision. Um, I don't think those strikes are much connected to the Janus decision. The Los Angeles case and uh, perhaps a little bit the Denver case are maybe a little bit different. Um, some interpretations of the Los Angeles strike was that this was partly an action um, to increase solidarity and union organizing through mobilizing everyone through a strike that would be it would enhance membership because ultimately the strike didn't end with a, the union winning any more than was really on the table much more than was on the table in the beginning it seems to be a pattern though that's being replicated from state to state the the you know so we, we are seeing a kind of sequential series of these yeah, these think- walkouts and and strikes so yeah, I think that the deeper underlying issue here is that while education spending by uh, in states and localities has been increasing over the last two decades, what people haven't looked at is where the money is actually going, and it's been much going to pay off uh, longer-term commitments for retire, retiree health care and pensions. So current teachers aren't really making this in, in salary a lot of the money is going to going elsewhere, yeah. and they're getting squeezed out. And I think that's what seems like, hey, we're not, we're not, we're not getting up to uh, any of these benefits, and um, and that's what's prompting the strikes. What um, what do you think the next big legal battle is going to be in this public sector union space? Well, there's a number. If there's any. Yeah, I think there's there's a few big legal uh, contests or skirmishes already starting. One is just lawsuits contesting, for example, the windows laws as whether those are actually constitutional uh, or not. There's also a whole spate of lawsuits in federal courts seeking what are called retroactive refunds, which is to say, um, because a Supreme Court decision, in a sense, doesn't overturn the law, but announces the true law, is are the constitutional violations, the agency fees that were collected back two, three years into the past, should those monies be reimbursed to the people who they were taken from since their constitutional rights were being violated. So that these, an effort to recoup those monies, which would obviously hit the unions heavily, is afoot. There's much legal debate as whether these the suits will gain any traction, perhaps before the Supreme Court. And then last, there's a, a set of cases. One is already uh, been petitioned to the Supreme Court over whether unions should maintain or can maintain the constitutionality of what's called exclusive representation, which is where the union represents all workers in a given bargaining unit, whether or not they're union members. Thanks, Dan. That's a very, very uh, clear overview of where we are on all of those issues. Don't forget to uh, check out Dan DeSalvo's work on our website, www.city-journal.org. We'll link to his report on the 10 Blocks podcast page, and you can follow him on Twitter at DeSalvoCCNY. We'd also love to hear your comments about today's episode on Twitter at City Journal. 
Lastly, if you like our show and do want to hear more, please leave ratings and reviews on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Dan, for joining us. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.